This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by Bosbole.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Karnison and welcome to Open for Business. In November, local upscale restaurant Dewakan picked up a second Michelin star at the second edition of the Michelin Guide Kuala Lumpur and Penang, making it the first two Michelin star restaurant here in Malaysia. An honour that has backed up the establishment's name that roughly translates to Food from God. Today on Open for Business, you will learn what turned an educational entrepreneurial effort at a local college into this two-star Michelin restaurant what it takes to survive and strive in this highly competitive culinary scene and whether the restaurant business makes business sense. And joining me in this conversation is Chef Darren Theo, founder and head chef of Dewakan. Darren, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Good morning. I'm looking forward to having this conversation with you. And uh, first and foremost, congratulations on the second star. Super. Thank you very much. Um, so, Darren, if I have this correct... You started as a lecturer in KU College? Uh, yes, I did. I did. So you started as a lecturer and then transitioned into a restaurant owner, uh, which is quite a unique journey, let's put it that way. So talk to us a little bit about that journey and what made you realize that food was your path? Ah, well, well I, mean, I those are quite different questions, I think. Um, food was has always been something that I've been involved in. Okay. Um, I moved back from Singapore to Kuala Lumpur. And um, at the time, I guess, um, things that I was interested in were slim pickings. Um, and so, because I had some qualifications, I picked up a job with um, the university. And uh, I... I stuck with it for quite a long time, and we had a lot. I mean, I had a lot of opportunities that was provided by the university to further my studies, um, to do things I've not done before. And it was a very varied and very wide experience. Um, and then KDU made the decision to move to a new campus in Glamoury, and with that, well, we kind of mooted, or the, the school mooted for, and uh, mooted an idea to have a a um, high-level restaurant that was a working business case. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, after jumping through a couple of hoops and um, and trying to make things work, they decided that it was a good idea. And we incorporated that into the um, the plans of the new building. And then the rest was history. And that is Dewakan as we know today. Yes, correct. The origin story for this yes. restaurant. Well, I mean, it started off uh, as part of the hotel school's campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it what, this was in 2015, um, 2014, 2015. And it was meant to be a working business case, for, um, something that's never been done um, in any any university uh, that I know of in in the city, so it it had it it had its own PNL, it had its own uh, expenditure, its own staffing. Um, it was a business, almost standalone by itself. Now you know um, to some of the chefs I've spoken, whether on record or off record, the common denominator seems to be that the food business, the restaurant business, can be very difficult to stay afloat for multiple years. And you've been in the business for some time now. Um, if you are looking at the food business from purely a financial perspective, from a, the restaurant business, does it make sense to do it, or do you need to have a certain level of passion in order to make it work? 
Uh, well, I mean, food is food is volatile simply because um, people are volatile. You know, I mean, things change almost immediately. Today, there is a, um, a bubble tea revolution, and then tomorrow <laughs> it's a nasi lemak, and the week after it's you know a burger with melted cheese on it or something like that, right? So, so I think I think like many businesses, it it experiences the volatility that comes with human preference and 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 trends and and things like this. It you you. There, you do need a certain amount of gumption and you do need a certain amount of perseverance and it helps if you had a, if you have a little bit of smarts. I think this common misconception is that, oh, you know, do it for passion and, and um, you know, things will turn out all right. But, but, but in reality, I know many people who have opened for passion, but passion only. So passion needs to be put together with a lot of other things, learning how to read a, a profit and loss, or 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 understanding how the environment, the business environment works, uh, what, and how you know things like forex affects you know inflation. These are these are all you know um, bits of the puzzle that help you have a clearer vision of the direction that you're going. So I spoke to David Thompson a few weeks back and he was part of your Kita Food Festival. Yep. And some of the vibes I was getting from that is um, you need to have, you have to understand the business side of things. You cannot you be a chef or a cook who says, I don't care about the numbers, you handle it. I just want to handle the kitchen because that could lead you being taken for a ride in a lot of situations. It, it doesn't work. It doesn't work this way, right? Like, so so most most chefs I know that, that climbed that sort of like kitchen ladder, the hierarchical ladder. Um, and then when placed in a position where they have to take over all aspects of the business, suddenly realize they are most incapable of and highly unprepared for. You know, it's 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 from just learning how to make sauces and how to 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 get your preps ready, and then start, and then and then your next level is then to supervise other people, to do training. Then the next level is to manage a team, and all of that is something that sits within a purview of someone who grew up in the kitchen. But then suddenly you are thrown into the deep end with, okay, so we made X amount of. Uh, we made X amount of revenue for this for this month, but your food cost is at this. But then you know, so for for a lot of chefs, it's always just food cost, right? Mm -hmm. But then there's labor costs, and then suddenly things words like amortization get thrown at you, <laughs> and then you know depreciation, and then you're looking at Investopedia. What is this? Um, <laughs> so it it there is this there's this great leap. There's this huge leap from just being able to cook or being an efficient kitchen manager to then becoming an entrepreneur or a business um, operator, right? So this is this is huge one. I mean, I, one of a very pivotal moment for me was I was speaking to a chef. Um, he's a very, now a very, very large chef in, in, uh, in Denmark. And we were having a very casual conversation. Um, he, at, at that point where he was, I know it was a bit of a struggle, but at that point where he was, he was saying, you know, all of the, all of the food doesn't make sense if you cannot 
pay your vendors and you can't pay your your team. You know, you can't take home some money because you have to. You have to be able yeah. to take home money as as well, right? So, uh, um, I think there's this idea that that just because you're in a chef and in a and in a time where being a chef is almost like a I don't know. Sometimes people akin it to like a rock and roll star or something like this. Does not necessarily mean um, that you're financially comfortable. So, if you could look back at your own career, and you would, if you had to give advice to some new aspiring chefs who, you know, they love the work, and now they're thinking maybe I should start my own place, start my own restaurant. What would you tell them? Run away. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the extent? I mean, no, all, jo- all no, jokes aside. Yeah, all yeah, jokes okay, aside. No, no. I mean, um, I, I think, f- I think first and foremost is 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 the perseverance, right? Mm. I think that's an important skill to learn. And a lot of a lot of um, uh, people with my generation, uh, chefs in uh, my generation, took a longer time to work through levels and and although you know it might seem a little bit longer but what it did teach us is the perseverance you know to when it really gets tough you just kind of got to push through and 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 not just push through mindlessly but to figure stuff out to figure what the solution is or 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 what the um uh, the best case scenario is or or even how much you would lose and take stock of that right so that the perseverance bit's really important but I also think um, that you cannot have your head down all the time and you have to look at at what's happening around you. And there's so many great ways to learn um, business with even while, while you're doing it, right? Uh, even while you're working. I, I have one of my sous chefs um, has a company that sells knives uh, from Japan. So he's doing he's doing his 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 day job, which is was mostly a night job, but with us, <laughs> um, uh, a day and night job, and then and then he's also got a business on the side, and, and I think that when you when you experience life through, um, well, when you have a little bit more life experience, that helps you a lot. So while you're able try and get as much life experience as possible i guess the importance of you know doing business is you learn the importance of margins as well margins man and uh, darren will talk a little bit about the business side of things in a little bit but also um what it takes to run to michelin star restaurant and the implications of those michelin stars right what does it do for the business overall which we will get into in a little bit folks i've been speaking with chef darren theo he's the founder and head chef at dewakan a restaurant in kale that's recently been awarded its second michelin star the first malaysian restaurant to do so i'm roshan kanison you're listening to open for business keep it here to bfm 89.9 the business station Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Big Front Man, BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBolle.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanison and this morning I'm speaking with Chef Darren Theo, founder and head chef of Dewakan, a restaurant here in KL that's recently been awarded its second Michelin star, the first Malaysian restaurant 
to do so. Um, Darren, earlier in our conversation, you gave us a sense for the journey, right? The origin story starting out in essentially the Glenmarie campus of KDU College to now the two Michelin stars uh, gave us a sense for the early journey as well and what it takes to run a restaurant. Um, before we get into the, the business side and what the Michelin stars have done, talk to us about the thesis or the, the theme behind Dewakan. Um, Dewakan is was always designed to be um, an intermediary for um, the the potential of of endemic and indigenous ingredients um, to the greater public. We wanted to form a cuisine that was built on um, ingredients that were from our backyard, but also because, but also. The value proposition for that was for us was that we didn't know enough about it, and so then began a, a, a explorative um, journey into looking at the potential of ingredients that you can find from one of the, one of the oldest rainforests in the world, and then ch- putting that into a challenge of figuring out a way to um, interestingly or imaginatively put it onto a plate. Sometimes we have succeeded, and sometimes we have failed. And where did this, I guess, where did it come from? Like, what made you think that I want to do this in particular, this particular theme? I don't think there was an epiphany moment. Mm. Is that, there wasn't this, like, eureka moment. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I think what, what really, I, okay, so there are a few things. Um, and I've relayed mm, uh, these stories before. Uh, when I was, when I was young, um, we always had trees around our our neighborhood. I grew up in Sea Park, and there were you know there was always like a rambutan tree, or there was like a small cherry tree, or a guava tree. And um, when we went for walks, you know, going heading towards the playground, you know, mom would pick up something and say, "Okay, you can eat this," or, you, or "This is this you can play with," or something like that. So there was always this sort of like visceral experience with like being in contact with some with some form of nature. We were the kids who would see rambutans hanging outside of the outside of the fence, and if it's outside of the fence, it's all game, <laughs> right? So you know you can go and get rambutans if it's hanging outside the fence. We were the kids who would climb the trees with um, with the with the karunga, the red ants. You know, we mm-hmm. do all that, um, and and so so that's really that. Okay, so that sets the the, the, the tone. The tone. Yeah. Um, when I was cooking in Singapore, I used to work for um, a French restaurant, and this French restaurant, um, as as in as in many things those days, you had two shipments of imported produce that comes from either France or from Australia. The fish typically came from France, and it was once a week. So if you get the fish, I was in the Poissonnier side, so that means I used to cook. Um, I so I was on the fish side. So when you get fish on the first day that it comes. It's you know it's relatively good, but as the days progress, because it only comes once a week, you know that fish then degrades, and and you know just because it was a you know a monkfish or a cabillo or something, it was that was what denoted the value as it was put on the menu. Um, but then one day, my chef just kind of said like, "Why are we doing this? Like this is there is no reason for us to be using this fish if it's coming out of." 
at this quality. So he stopped. Well, no, he didn't stop. He gradually stopped. But he started using local fish. And at the time, Singapore was just about to, on the cusp of this grouper, uh, grouper farms. And it was, it's amazing, you know, it was just live specimens that were coming into the, into the restaurant. And, and uh, as, the, as the chef in charge of seafood, you, you know, you had to prep it. So these guys were flapping around and you know, <laughs> ice them down. And, you know, and then there was rigor mortis and all of this. You're experiencing this for the first time. And I was looking at this, at this fish and, and, and figuring it out, it was a different animal completely to that lifeless and, you know. Shipment uh, that you got. Yeah, the, that lifeless shipment that we got. And, it was, and this was like, wow. So, okay. So, we cut it open and then I, and then we cooked it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then, and then, and then I, I ate it raw. And I was like, wow, I've never, I would never have imagined to eat like any of that other fish raw. But this one, I felt like, okay, there was... It was just this, this this sense of discovery, right? And um, and that's really, and that was that, that that was that one moment. Fast forward a couple of years later, um, going on a hike with with um, some people, and um, and they showed me this this like it was a nut of I can't remember. No, actually, it was a fruit. It was a fruit, and 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 it was a mangosteen from from the tree, right? And this, and I and I realized that. I've never had mangosteen from a tree. And I plucked that. And then someone plucked it and gave it to me and I opened it and it was like pristine white on the inside, you know, and there was like an ant crawling across the... And I just popped the whole thing in my mouth and I was like, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Right? So there were like different moments and maybe these were just three instances that I can think of right now. So these gave you an appreciation for locally sourced ingredients? Well, it gave me an appreciation for the fact that I don't know enough, mm. and 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 I should be, I should have, I should have a greater library of knowledge, and that and that was what kind of like provoked me in that sense. So on that note, um, wanting all these different and more interesting local ingredients, um, while uh, it comes with you know supply chain management, right? Mm. Talk to us a little bit about the difficulty of sourcing. Uh, or at least the process of sourcing these kind of ingredients in a reliable manner, because you you have a restaurant to run, you can't afford for ingredients not to arrive on uh, on time. So, talk to us about that supply chain. In the most romantic way, um, we've just decided that that the menu and the things that we do should move around what's available. Um, and some things we get things, and most times we do get things when they are available. Um, and so there are just a few ways to do it. So, okay, so let's let's talk about it practically. Um, we have more than one supplier for any given product, especially if they're harder to get. And when they're, when they're in season or when they're out of, out of season. Um, a gentleman many, many, many years ago, when we first kind of like started, a gentleman uh, introduced me to, he told me that you need to try the Kulim. And this kulim is a fruit, Scordicopus borneensis. It's a fruit, or it's a nut of a fruit um, that resembles the smell of roasted garlic, and in some instances, truffle. So it's re- so that had me captivated. So that was that was like maybe one or two years after we opened. It was probably about another year before I saw my first kulim, 
it was probably about another two years before we got the first batch of cooling <laughs> into the restaurant. So you're looking at about three years. And it, and this came from an obscure conversation with, with a gentleman who was, who was very um, generous with his knowledge. So then we then this sort of through learning with this we learned that it was best to have four or five per ingredient, uh, four or five suppliers per ingredient. Um, we also learned that when it's plentiful, get it when it's plentiful. Um, and finally, we also learned that in as many ways as possible, learn how to preserve all of these items, and then we incorporate that into the into the menu. Darren, we've got more to get into, including, again, uh, the Michelin stars, but also the business side of running a restaurant, which we will do after the news bulletin, which is upcoming. Uh, folks, I've been speaking with Chef Darren Theo, the founder and head chef of Dewakan, a restaurant in KL that's become the first in Malaysia to get two Michelin stars. I'm Roshan Kainasin, open for business. We'll be back right after that. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Bunkus for Makan. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I'm speaking with Chef Darren Theo, founder and head chef of Dewakan, a restaurant in KL that's recently been awarded its second Michelin star, the first Malaysian restaurant to do so. Darren, earlier we were talking about the supply chain, you know, the thesis behind Dewakan, uh, what goes into, I guess, this the theme that you've brought together, and there's a lot of focus around uh, local ingredients, local flavors, and Adaptability, because as we were mentioning earlier, the supply of these things, uh, when they're plentiful, you make do with what you have. And when they're not, you have to adjust to that to tap into what you have. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the Michelin star. So it happened in November, just a few weeks back, uh, became the first Malaysian restaurant to do so. Um, talk to us about the, I guess, the value of the Michelin star in terms of what it brings to you as a restaurant and as a business. Um, I think first. I think firstly, I think we should address what it brings to the country. Okay. Um, both KL and Penang have been fortunate enough to be a part of the grading, and we are flanked by two other countries that do tourism exceptionally well. This um, this addition of the, or at least this aspect of um, culinary tourism or gourmet tourism has given us, um, you know, uh, how do you say, it? We, 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 we can get a punch in, mm. like into the whole situation. And and I think that, it, what's that saying? Um, a rising tide flows all boats. Yeah. And and I think that's what this the, the guide has done or is going to do for the country. Some people are going to disagree with what the content of that guide is going to be. Are we a two-star? Are we not a two-star? Who knows? But, but I think, but I think, um, but I think what it does do is that it it casts it casts eyeballs on the country, and people then have 
whether you know, I mean, if you're in Southeast Asia, you know, you're an hour flight away from Bangkok, you're an hour flight away from from Singapore. You know, if you're from Hong Kong, it's like about four or five hours. Um, so people have have an added reason to come to the country, and we see that as as we, we we've seen that in the past two years with um, our reservations. And you see people, you know, who come and they'll do like, you know, three nights in Kuala Lumpur. Then they'll fly out to Penang and they'll do two nights there. Then they come back and then they fly back home. And and I think that's I think that's a great thing, right? Like it it's it's beneficial for everyone. Is it a is it is it an exhaustive guide? No, it's not. Mm. But for someone who's never seen, who has no context of what Kuala Lumpur has to offer or what Penang has to offer, it's a good starting point. And then, you know, if, 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 they, if they end up liking the city and they want to come and do a couple of more weekends here, um, and then they get really into, into like what's available, then, you know, then that's a different discovery altogether. But it did provide or it does provide um, a foot in the door. It's marketing, uh, and on a global stage, you need that kind of marketing to get attention to get the presence, eyeballs. right? I mean, yeah. I mean, that brand is a recognized brand. Yeah, Singapore does overall tourism branding way better than we do. Thailand is a massive tourist destination that also is very active. Um, so, it's little things here and there that make a difference. So that's the Michelin star itself. Yeah, what has it done for your business? Um. It has it has increased um, our visibility. Uh, we have we have a greater spectrum of um, guests that are walking through the door right now. Uh, we see more travelers coming in, and I, I don't think that's just unique to us. It's also you you know for all the other restaurants that have stars. Just 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 the other maybe say I don't know maybe about a month ago I was at my favorite claypot chicken rice in Budu. And they happen to be on the Bib Command. And when you used to see, like, just Malaysians, now you see spotted with, like, you know, okay, this guy's not from here, that mm. guy's not from here. And, you know, so it's, it has it has that sort of impact. And it gives, it's given us a greater breadth of, um, of, of clientele. Now, you've been in operations for now, about eight years now. Um, can you give us a sense for, in terms from a business perspective, um, what kind of revenues are you generating here? And I know you're not going to give me any specific numbers, but if you can give us a sense of are you a six-figure business, seven-figure business, or what kind of, in general, what what's the business like? Well, we have worked ourselves up to a point where we've been um, EBITDA positive for a couple of years now. Okay. Um, with the exception of maybe, say, one year during... The dark era. Ah, yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> just, just with that, with that exception. But we, we have been, we have been doing quite well. Um, and mind you, mind you, we've built a business from where we were in Glenmarie in Shalom, of which you know many people don't visit as often. Um, we have been, and the reason, and, and how we've we've managed to achieve that is that we've been very, very actually quite frugal with our expenditure, mm. um, with our daily operations, and we try and keep it as tight as possible. Um, sometimes, sometimes that has eluded us, but we try to keep on track. Um, the total quantum of our of our business is. Um, 
I would say it's quite attractive at this point, but it has taken you know years to to get up there. Now, Paramount Corp is the shareholder um, owner the owner of yes. the restaurant, the business, um, and having that kind of partner in this kind of thing, it's important to make sure that you both understand each other. Yeah. So, talk to us about that relationship and. Most importantly, you know, what is the, the KPI, the mandate, right? Because they're a publicist company. And I presume there is a financial mandate here. Make money, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Two a... Two-word mandate. Yeah, it's like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not one of those things where they, they built the business or invested in the business for a return on ego. That's mm. not what it is. Um, Paramount have... Paramount Corp has always been very supportive of what we've done, um, and and in and in return we we you know we try to manage the business to as well we manage the business as it was our own, and uh, we 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 have this sort of like um, there is a, a a line of accountability that happens both ways, so we what they do. Um, in terms of relationship, what they do is they support us with um, a lot of human capital expenditures that support the business. So things like finance, uh, HR management, um, Copcoms, as you've met Eve. Um, so these, that's that's their that's their support. Um, and what they want us to do is to um, is to achieve the goals that we set up set up for ourselves uh, every year. Is there a is there an ambition to be more than one restaurant in the future? We're exploring that. Mm. Um, it's not it's not for everyone, I think, but um, it's definitely something that we're exploring and we're leaning towards um, um, looking out for more synergistic uh, relationships. We're looking at um, a different a different approach to to food and beverage. We're looking at definitely not looking at making another Dewakan, that's for sure. Um, we're looking at uh, something a bit more approachable, a little mm. bit more, you know, democratic, um, something that would fit the gap. So I think it's we, we don't have we don't have a like a fixed concept at the moment, but we're looking at what would work and what sh- what would make sense. And that's that's really also just how Dewakan came about, because Dewakan was built off the idea that the landscape, the culinary, the the restaurant landscape at the time, this was what was missing, um, and it would make a great global story or regional story at least. Folks, I've been speaking with Chef Darren Theo. He's the founder and head chef at Dewakan, a restaurant in KL that's recently been awarded its second Michelin star, the first Malaysian restaurant to do so. I'm Roshan Kanesan. You're listening to Open for Business. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Open for Business will reopen in a few moments. Powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. Busy Finding Money, BFM 89.9. Open for Business is powered by BossBolet.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. BFM 89.9, welcome back to Open for Business. I'm Roshan Kanesan, and this morning I'm speaking with Chef Darren Theo, founder and head chef of Dewakan, a restaurant in KL that's been recently been awarded its second Michelin star, the first Malaysian restaurant to do so. 
Darren, earlier we talked a little bit about um, the value of the Michelin star as well as uh, what your the owner of the restaurant, Paramount Corp, is expecting in terms of the business side of things. And um, one key part of the business side of things is the cost element. And we've seen prices of food and ingredients go up. How do you approach, how do you as a restaurant operator balance the need to maintain the quality of your food versus the need to be profitable as well uh, in this current cost environment? Okay, so I don't think they're... Um I don't think they're exclusive of each other. I don't think they're polarizing of each other. I think that you can you can develop a cost structure that um, is profitable. Um, but it might take a little bit more effort than, and maybe not as straightforward. Um, the rising costs of ingredients, um, payrolls are inevitable and there is no way around it. Which means that as a business, we also then have to be a little bit less rigid with our expectations. And, um, and I think that given the objectives of what the restaurant wants to achieve, meaning to provide an excellent service and provide um, an experience to, to guests, um, you, have to, you, have to be, you have to be a little bit like a Cirque du Soleil and do things that other people don't, you know. <laughs> you just have to, you have to figure it out. And I, you know, it's not, it's not rocket science, but it, it, but it does take some thinking and it's some thinking through. Um, and, and I think we're quite resilient in that way. We've been through different periods of um, the restaurant's life and, some some have not been the greatest, and some have um, some have put us you know set us back a couple of a couple of steps. But I think getting up and doing it again and figuring it out is is kind of like how you make balance. Now I know I know that's not the answer you're looking for, but but in a gist, this is the most practical thing I can say. Mm. It's to is to be as is is to be as flexible as possible and to be as nimble as possible. The F&B industry, the restaurant business, um, in a lot of ways, the food business can be a great barometer of the economy because it's one of the first places where people are cutting spending or increasing their spending. Either you are eating out less or you're maybe downgrading from a particular thing to another thing. What can you tell us based on, obviously yours is a much higher priced uh, demographic that's looking at this, maybe a bit more tourism as well. But given what you've seen uh, over the last year, uh, in your restaurant, uh, the spending patterns, the, the demographics that are coming in. Um, give us a sense for, I guess, where you see the economy today. Are people spending more now or is there still a bit of conservatism in the way they're spending? Uh, throughout the year, um, I think we've seen different spend patterns um, and they are reactive to you know what's happening in the environment um, or in the climate at the time. So... But in the past few in the past few months, um, word on the street is that um, um, there there has been a bit of a dip mm. um, in in spend um, with uh, with 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 restaurants with, with restaurants in general. Um, we I mean I guess we are a little bit insulated in a sense because uh, quite a, a majority of our clientele um, uh, travelers. Uh, but word on the street, we see. Um, there is there is a bit of slump, but however, I, I I would like to also point out that 
it's I don't think it's just unique to Malaysia. It's not just unique to Kuala Lumpur and um, to Kuala Lumpur. I think um, I think we I've I've colleagues in Singapore who also have been saying that you know things are not as as jivey as it used to be. Mm. Um, that indicates that the that that already there is a tension or that people are expecting a greater tension. Does that concern you? Yeah, of course it does. Because you know, <laughs> not not only not only not only as a as a as a, um, uh, as a restauranter, but I think also, um, but also in the general climate of things, that is that is worrying, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and unless we get thrown a lifeline pretty soon, um, um, it's going to be difficult to scrape out of this one. You've been in this business for, well, Dewakan's been open for eight years now. Right. Uh, you've been in the food business for longer uh, as a lecturer. You were in Singapore as well. Um, with your current career, the current iteration of your career, what are your longer term ambitions? On a personal level, I would like to continue to just do what I'm doing. Mm. I, I think... Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, this, um, for many for many years in my youth, I felt like milestones were, were things that you achieve in like two to three years, or mm. you know, like you, every two years you review yourself or something <laughs> like that, you know. <laughs> and you have like you know your purpose driven life and and things like this. But I um, in the past maybe half decade or so running the restaurant, um, I've truly been enriched by. The small steps, and I feel like the small steps, the small steps are the ones that that have made um, um, this this journey very rewarding. Um, so, I personally hope to be able to be doing this for a long time, and enjoy the craft of it, enjoy the um, the process, trusting the process, and. Um, and hopefully be able to look back and see a legacy of um, of great relationships, a legacy of um, of doing something that's meaningful um, both both from from every from every sort of like angle and every sort of like uh, facet. You said that you enjoy the craft, you enjoy the process. Do you enjoy the business side of it? It's interesting. like it's um. I, I think that's part of the process, and I think like that's that's mm. interesting for me, right? Because it's still relatively new for me. Some people at my age have already been running businesses for for youngs, um, and but but for myself, it's it's been relatively new. Years ago, I I mean I dabbled in it right before Dewakan actually. Like I, I dabbled in it. I, I had a I had a food tour company. That was the first one in in KL. Um, and it did well um, up until COVID, and then, <laughs> and um, we I had like a small food solutions company, a food consultancy company. So it was always, you know, it was always it was always a build up, and this business end of it has has been an interesting journey, um, and very much like cooking. The more you do, the better you get, and I think we've done quite well, um, having lasted for eight years. Last question. And uh, we're circling back to my first question to you, or at least the first one of the first few questions. Um, for us aspiring chefs and restauranters, um, earning a, one Michelin star, let alone two, is often a dream. Uh, 
What advice do you have for those who aim to reach this level of culinary recognition and success in the industry? Whether or not people disagree with whether you deserve the Michelin star or not, that's a separate matter altogether. The star is a reflection of your work. It's not the other way around. Um, you don't reflect the star. Um, so I think do, doing what you can with the resources that you have at the moment, whether it's knowledge or whether it's um, uh, capital or whether it's um, uh, human resource, just doing the best that you can at the moment with the resources that you have is already a victory. Um, I feel that the more you pay attention to your business and to the craft that you that you set aside for yourself, um, the the recognition may or may not come, but that's not as important because you're because you you should be you should be present and at that moment present and enjoying the process, and I think that process is very rewarding in itself. Darren, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Folks, I've been speaking with Chef Darren Theo, founder and head chef of Dewakan, a KR restaurant that's recently been awarded its second Michelin star, the first Malaysian restaurant to do so. I'm Roshan Kynason. You've been listening to Open for Business. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Are you open for business? Register your company with BossBalay.com, Malaysia's first online company secretary. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.